الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا اللهم صل صلاة كاملة وسلم سلاما تاما على سيدنا محمد الذي تنحل به الوقت وتنفرج به الكرب وتقضى به الحوائج وتنال به الرغائب وحسن الخواتم ويستسقى الغمام بوجه الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا First of all I have to remind myself another to thank Allah Ta'ala for the ni'mah of Islam and that you can go searching around for happiness of your heart everywhere you go you're not going to find it better than in the recitation of the Quran daily in large amounts daily and in large amounts because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says وَذْكُرُ ذِكْرًا كَثِيرًا Make remembrance of Allah much and Sayyidina Musa says, So we make tasbih of you much and a remembrance of you much. Wherever dhikr is mentioned in the Quran, it's always associated with the word much because a small amount doesn't benefit as much, hardly benefit. There's some benefit, of course, we can't say it doesn't benefit. But the munafiqeen, what did they say? Allah says about them, So the hypocrites, they remember Allah, but very little. And so it didn't benefit them. It didn't cure them of their hypocrisy. So people who can't can, can't have the discipline to do a lot of dhikr, if they have any emotional trouble, they go to drugs. They drown themselves out in music. They womanize. They do all sorts of these uh, vices that, that are at your fingertips in society. Okay, They're at your fingertips these days. So you have to fight. And we're here together to, 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 to help each other out. Right, fighting against our nafs, going against our base desires, and filling our hearts with the heavenly word. That is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's going to be what fills your heart with sa'ada and happiness. And you're going to feel like, I have so much. I have everything that Allah has given me, I can't uh, uh, count these ni'mah. And that's a sign that you have shuhud and ni'mah. One, sc- one scholar asked the question, uh, how do we know that if we're, we're grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Someone said, when you look and you realize, I can't count this ni'mah. He said, that's gratitude to Allah. That's when you realized your situation with Allah. Today, we're going to talk about Sayyidina Idris, alayhi salam, because yesterday in a podcast that's going to be released, it was a wild podcast. You got to listen to it. We went about an hour and a half. Uh, all the old crew, Alex, except for Sad. We missed Sad, but Alex was there. Naz was there. Murad, we had. We had other people on. It was a wild podcast, but we talked a little bit about the Isra and Mi'raj. And we noted there's another prophet who was very unique. He actually died in his Mi'raj. He died not because he couldn't handle his Mi'raj, but he was his death was appointed at the time of his Mi'raj. Okay. And what was hap- what this who this prophet is is the prophet Idris alayhi salam. So who is he? And how is he so unique? Because Allah says, وَذْكُرْ okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Mention in the book, وَذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسِ إِنَّوْ كَانَ صَدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا Sayyidina Ibris, uh, Idris alayhi salam, Allah mentions in the Quran, praises him in the Quran, and he says about him that Sayyidina Idris was a Siddiq, إِنَّوْ كَانَ صَدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا And he says about him, وَإِسْمَعِيلَ وَإِدْرِيسَ وَذَا الْكِفْلِ he mentions them that he's a righteous, he was a prophet, and Allah raised him. We elevate him to a high place. So, what about this Idris? And how do we know about him? 
The stories we know about him come from Wahb ibn Munabbih. Wahb ibn Munabbih was a Yemeni from a Jewish background, and he came and he 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 used to tell stories of the prophets and the Tabi'in and the Sahaba. I think that he he did meet Sahaba. They would approve some of the stories. So they said that Idris, he is the fourth generation down from the Prophet Adam alayhi salam. So Prophet Adam alayhi salam came. One of the Prophet Adam's younger sons was named Sheath, also known as Seth in the English language. Sheath took over the Khilafah after Sayyidina Adam. When Sayyidina Adam became a bit older, Sheath took over. Sheath witnessed his brother Qabil kill Habil. Cain killed Abel. He witnessed that. He watched and he saw how his father Adam exiled Qabil from the mountain. In the old days, in the ancient times, Adam and his progeny all lived on a mountain. And the difference when we say Jabal and Tur, there's a difference between the word Jabal and the word Tur. The Jabal is a, is, is a dry mountain. It's like the type of mountain that you see in a picture that's like a perfect stone. But uh, uh, a Tur is a mountain that has life in it. Like how does it have life in it? It's got caves that you could seek protection in. It's got rivers coming down it. When you have rivers and you have greenery, what do you attract? You attract so livestock, uh, animals, I mean, and, and you can eat those animals. You can drink the water and you can eat the greenery from the trees. So, and a tur is more of like a gradually going up mountain so that you could live on it. There's some flatlands on the mountain. That's how they all lived. And Qabil was exiled from the mountain. And Sheath witnessed that. Sheath took over. From the younger generation, two generations after him, not directly descendant from Sheath, was Idris. Okay, Sayyidina Idris. So now the human population is vast, right? And they lived hundreds of years and they had plenty of kids. And so the human population was vast and Idris is a follower of Sheath. And Idris was an Abi. His description was that he was very big, but he was extremely soft-spoken. Okay. And he was a contemplator. He used to contemplate constantly, like the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet Messenger was described, وسلم, he used to go uh, to the mountaintops. They couldn't find him. And only as a boy, six, seven years old, they'd find him sitting on a hill. And he said, what are they doing? Looking, looking at the mountains, looking at the stars. So contemplation. Because as we've said a million times, to know that there's a creator does not require a prophet. It just requires you to look and you can see that things are designed perfectly. Do you ever see there was a news story? I don't know if the doctors here, they're probably aware of it. There was like a medical thing that was, you know, caught a lot of people's attention. They put it on the news. A guy got sick really badly and he coughed up part of his lung. When they took part of his lung out, the doctor said it was gorgeous, right? He just kept looking at it. He cleaned it off, the blood and everything. And then he picked it up. There's a picture of it on, online. It literally looks like a tree. Right? It looks exactly like you drew a tree. So subhanAllah, the same shape of the, the thing that gives us air and the thing that receives air, they have the same shape. Like inside the lung, when you look at how the lungs go out, it's like an upside down tree. So one gives the air, it's shaped like a tree. The one receives the air, shaped like a tree. Right? I mean, it's amazing. You gotta, this, there's one manufacturer here. Right? There's one maker. So that's what Sayyidina... Uh, uh, Idris used to do and then he started preaching and then he was informed you're a prophet too 
okay? And he had a lot of followers. He gained a lot of followership. And his area, some people say, was what's now known as Babylon. And then he moved to Egypt. Allahu Adam about all these stories. But he, he preached well. And one of the things that he is unique for is he's the first person who came up, who was inspired by Allah to write with a tool. He was the first person to write words down with a tool. Okay, so he was he was inspired with that. He was also inspired by Allah to divide up the day into 12 units, right? Divide up the day. So the idea that we have 12 hours in the day and 12 hours in the night, that was one of the inspirations given to Prophet Idris. He was also inspired with a third innovation in humanity, which is to stitch your clothes. Before that, they would get large skins, okay, and then wear the skins around themselves and maybe tie it up. But he was the one, first one who came, who was taught at this time to stitch up the clothes, okay? And that was something that's unique, again, to him. You know, some of these things don't come from the Prophet Sallallahu but okay, it's a story. Uh, it's passed on by Wahhab ibn Munabbih. It's found in the books, and there's no, no harm in believing it. All right, so when the Prophet Idris came, the... He, he was, when in his day, Sheath was the Khalifa, Seth. And he was waging war on Qabil. At the time, there's no Kafirs. There was either a Salih or a Fasiq. Okay? There was no such thing as a Kafir. No one didn't, there was no Shirk, there was no Kufr. Everyone knew Allah exists and angels in heaven and hell. But there, the, the two groups were the Salihin and the Kafirin, uh, a Fasiqin. So those who followed Adam and his ways, and Prophet Idris met Sayyidina Adam. He, he met Sayyidina Adam in his old age. The Qabil went away with the people and, became, and, and they were uh, those who sinned. They did everything that was haram and they didn't study with Adam anymore. They didn't follow sheath. They didn't worship. Okay, so they were the Fasiqeen. They were outside the mountain. Eventually, the groups got so big that the followers of Qabil would come to the mountain and they would poach people because the people of the mountain... The believers, the Salihin, they had safety, okay? They had food, they had numbers, okay? And they had happiness. The followers of Qabil wanted to come in and spend time with the followers of Adam, alayhi salam, and Sheath. And then they started corrupting them. So Sheath and Idris together waged the first jihad to keep them away. So the first jihad on the earth was waged by Sheath and Idris. Sheath and his junior follower, Idris. In the Bible, it's called Enoch. Okay? So they waged the first jihad. And they, oh, they had a banner. Jibreel told them, when you wake war, you make a flag. That was the first flag that was made for humanity. And they put up a flag. And Sayyidina Jibreel was teaching them everything. At that time, religion was not just something that was, you're just given the revelation. No. You're given the revelation and you're taught how to live. So many people wonder, how did Adam farm and everything? Sayyidina Jibreel taught him all these things and brought tools for them. So he taught him, you have to come in rows and this is how you fight. He taught him how to do these things. And so they waged that jihad and pushed the followers of Qabil far away. That the followers of Qabil would not come anymore to, um, to corrupt the, the Salihin. And this is the thing. Inclusivity has its limits. You're inclusive of somebody who is on the same agenda, but is not that good at it. That's our, in any group, in any group, you're inclusive of somebody who's weak at fulfilling the group's goal, but believes in the group's goal. 
in any group, Democratic Party, vegetarian, vegan clubs, Republican Party, any group, Zionist clubs, Jewish clubs, groups, whatever. If you join the group and you're promoting the opposite of the group, the opposite goals of the group, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to get kicked out. Nobody says, oh, you're not tolerant and inclusive. This makes no sense. If I come and I join your golf team, but I say, no, no, I like to hit it all over the place and get a high score, right? And they're like, no, the goal of golf is to get a low score. So you're off the team. If I join a football team and say, oh, I like to run it back and, and fumble it. That's what my, my identity. You're going to be off the team, right? So likewise, what's, how, how are we Muslims any different? We have a goal. If you come and you're expressing the exact opposite goals and purposes, we need to be away from you. That's how simple it is. Okay, uh, so we have something precious, which is our hearts, and we don't. We are people. We have to remember we don't. We we don't trust Iblis. He's always there. We don't trust our nefs that could succumb to Iblis. So we have to be surrounded with people who are righteous. And you might think to yourself, "Oh, well, uh, it's sort of selfish." It's not selfish. It's safe. Do you trust people to enter your home all the time, or you have lock up your home all the time? Do you trust people to breathe on you, or do you wear a mask these days? So what's it, what's the, different with your heart? So they needed to keep these people away from them, okay? And by the way, when you clean your heart and you clean up your dean, you become someone that people can benefit from. People will come to you on your terms and benefit from you and leave. You don't just open the door to any old person to come in and influence your life and be part of your life. And then you're the one who gets corrupted at the end. This makes no sense. So they had to push them far away. And that might explain to us why some of the, you know, the anthropologists have come to the conclusion that humans at some point were really backwards. Allah Adam, it could be as a theory that it's the followers of Qabil. They were pushed far from the civilization of the people of Adam and Sheath and Idris. And so they had to start from scratch and they didn't have any of the benefits of the revelation. So now their kids were born, okay, uh, shorthanded they were they were born without the uh, that that revelation and those teachings so that's one possible explanation but eventually what happened was the followers of idris and sheath they became so many that they couldn't keep up even education their education and they would leave the mountain on their own you can't police people they would leave the mountain they would go and they would mingle with the people of Qabil, and things began to get to get uh, uh, corrupted. When Idris worked, this is at the end, when Idris was working, he was very successful in the dawah. He asked Allah, oh Allah, keep me on the earth for a long time because I'm doing well here and I want to live a long life. And the Prophet said, who is the best person? He lives a long life in righteousness. He lives a long life doing good deeds. That is the best of all people. And if your, short, your good deeds are short, then Allah takes you, it's better. And if your sins are a lot and you're going to keep sinning, then if Allah takes you, it's better as well. So the, but the Sayyidina Idris, he asked for this. Then every prophet, no prophet is taken away for death except by permission. So the angel of death came to Idris and he said, it's your time to go. He said, no, I don't want to go. I want to live a long life and do righteous work. Okay. Nothing more satisfying to the heart than this. He said, oh, well, then you're going to need to ask yeah, one of the chief angels for this. Okay, So maybe 
that the opposite was. Jibreel came and told him, are you ready to die now? And he said, no. He said, then you go speak to Malik al-Mawt yourself. He said, how am I going to meet Malik al-Mawt? He said, come onto my back. And then they went up to the fourth heaven. In the fourth heaven, he said, here we're going to meet Israel. And you could tell him that you want to live longer. He said, okay. He went, he gets to Israel, he sees Israel. And Israel said, subhanallah, I just read in the loh that I have to take your soul in the fourth heaven. I said, how? Right? And you came right up to me. He said, I came to you so that I could live longer. He said, and then what happens when, I live, when you live longer? He said, whatever date that you appoint for yourself, then you're going to be taken out that date. He said, that if that's the case, just take me now. When he saw the heavens. See, that's the thing. Allah showed him the greater reward. So we believe in good and greater. We don't believe that the reward of Allah is just good and bad. You may be in a good state and you can ask for better. That's why the, the dua is Jazakallahu khayran. Right? Not al-khayr because al-khayr is assuming you're in the bad. So there's always more. Allah ta With Allah Ta'ala, there's always more. That's why we don't have, we, we shouldn't have depression. We should never be bored. There's always more with Allah, but go to the right source. You'll get more. If you think you have an A-plus life, you could still get bored with that. That's the truth, right? If anyone has an A-plus life and you live that life for 10 years, guaranteed there's going to come a time where you're a little bit bored of it. You're like, yes, I'm 100% thankful. I'm happy. I'm not excited anymore, though, right? I'm totally happy. If this is all Allah gave me, I'm 110% happy. I'm not excited, though. But you have to believe that Allah Ta'ala has A-plus and there's A-plus-plus plus, and A-plus, triple-plus, right? And then gold, platinum, right? There's no end. There is no end to the karam of Allah that he could always get better and better and better, right? So a person should never... The problem is with ingratitude. That's the problem. A little bit of like, I want some more excitement. I want a little bit... That's not a problem. The problem is ingratitude. And there are many people, they start something, then they get bored with it, they leave it off. That's terrible. We like consistency and gratitude and know that Allah always has more. Right? There's always something that can give you something else. So Sayyidina Idris, he said, I want to live longer on this earth and I want to do so much more. Well, guess what? The meeting with Israel couldn't have been on the earth. It could have been on the earth. But Allah ordained that it happens on the heavens. When it happened in the fourth heaven and Idris looked around, he said, no, no, I'll, I'll die. Because when you see the heavens, and that wasn't even paradise, that was just the heavens, the realms above us. When you see that world, you wouldn't want to come back. That's why they say, what is the greatest miracle of the Mi'raj? This is one of the most amazing things. I think Hujwiri said it, or one of the early, he said, the greatest miracle of the Mi'raj is not that the prophet went, it's that he came back. If you went, you would be like, holding on, I'm never coming back. And he came back and his mood was good. He didn't come back and say, oh my gosh, I hate this. You, you can't go and live a certain life. And then let's say you're living in a mansion and you have a, a cook and you have a masseuse. And then you get shifted downwards to live in a studio apartment. You got to cook your own food and you have a small, tiny little budget to live by, right? It's going to be impossible. You're going to be in such a bad mood. But the Prophet ﷺ, his goal was never himself. If Allah wants to take me on Miraj, if Allah wants to put me in Mecca to struggle, what Allah wants is what's good. That's how the Prophet has aligned himself to what Allah wants. 
And that's why Sayyidah Aisha says, why do it, O Messenger? Why, how is it that I see that Allah is always answering you before you even ask? Right. But the reason is the Prophet had made Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his only goal. And as a result, before he asked for something, Allah grants it to him. How about the Qibla? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we know that you're thinking about, we know that you desire Mecca to be your, your Qibla. So we make it Mecca. Because because his heart was desired in that. So Prophet Idris salam, the mercy of Allah to him was that he didn't want to die because he wanted to live a long life and do righteous and do good and spread the da'wah. When Allah showed him the heavens, then he accepted to die. And his soul was taken in the heavens. That's the meaning of Prophet Nuh was the junior to Idris. It is said that Prophet Nuh witnessed Idris. And Prophet Nuh, of course, all of them were of the same essential lineage. There was only one tribe at that time, one skin and one language. And Prophet Nuh took the baton after him. Right? So there was prophets at all times, but the number of human beings kept spreading and growing and growing and growing to the point that it became very difficult uh, to keep everyone educated, to keep everyone guided. Very similar to our world today. There's more people worshiping Allah to, today in this year, uh, in this period of time, than let's say 100 years ago, than 200 years ago. But there's also way more people in disobedience of Allah. So the proportion is decreasing. The number is increasing. The number of, of people worshiping Allah is always increasing, but their proportion may be decreasing. So we feel like we're much less. We feel like things are much worse. That's true. Right, because of the proportion. Allah says we elevated your, your remembrance, means that there will always be an increase okay, of, of the dhikr of the Prophet and worship in Islam and the spread of knowledge. It's always increasing, except that proportionately it's decreasing, the percentage and the weight as a result of it. All right, we'll stop here. Let's go uh, to Ryan. Why don't you kick us off? Okay, first one. Uh, I'll read the whole message. Someone said, Salam to Dr. Shadi from your old friend Imad in London. Imad. Imad Ahmed. He said he'd love to ask about cupping, which he read that angels were advising on the Miraj. Finally, please make dua for him as well because he's extremely ill in the ICU. ICU? Why is he in the ICU? Allah give him a speedy shifa. First of all, it's great to hear from Imad. He's, he's COVID. This, this is one of the smartest brothers that I, that I met. He's a really smart guy. MashaAllah, may Allah bless him and, and, and keep him uh, in the benefit of Islam. Um, the question is about cupping. I don't know the history of cupping. But the little thing that I do know about it, and I've done it, cupping is different from hijama. Cupping is just putting the heated cup, and that's why you see people's mark. They have those marks, right? Whereas hijama is putting those heated cups, but then uh, uh, my mom does it. She does it for me. Scraping, you scrape the skin a little bit after a while, and that heated blood, okay, uh, that blood that comes up is the, the, the blood that is not good for the body, and then that blood comes out, okay? That's, that's what hijama is. You should do hijama at least once in your life to, to get the sunnah of it. I honestly when I did it, I was much more energized. I probably I'm due to do it again. I'll make let me do it again. I get a free I get a free uh hijama service, so why not? 
Imran Asim says about the Mi'raj, is it known and accepted that Tashahud was a conversation between Allah and His Messenger? Yes, it is said that many times and in many sources that the Tashahud, the first line, is from the Prophet to Allah. Then the Salam on the Prophet is from Allah to His Messenger. Then the Messenger's reply is to spread that Salam to all of us. As-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillah as-salihin. Shadu an la ilaha illallah. Wahdahu la sharika lahu. Shadu an muhammadan abduhu rasulu. We have a comment here. Let's see. What else we got? I saw a lot of people's comments, but I can't see them here anymore. All right, go ahead. What is the ruling for praying in an aircraft while in flight? If you're in flight, you have no other way to make salah except that you have to pray sitting down. So you will pray sitting down. Some of the ulama say that you would make it up you would repeat that prayer but you would pray sitting down facing the qibla as much as you can and of course you would combine dhuhr and asr and maghrib and isha yeah yeah how are you doing good how are you you doing good we have a volunteer I, you know how much i love volunteers an intern that's a much better word you're gonna spray paint today if we have the black spray paint hey uh Oz, is that your basket can we spray paint it black? If we have the spray paint. All right, next question. Um, somebody, somebody mentioned uh, a sheikh that he knows said, Allah is everywhere, but he is not in everything. But the person said, what I have learned is that Allah exists as he always has. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah exists is when they say he's everywhere with his knowledge, meaning he has knowledge of everything. With his knowledge, not with his essence, of course. What is the last time for Salatul Isha? Half of the night. The middle of the night is the time. If you delay it past that, you're sinful. Delay for no reason, of course, for no reason. If there's a reason, that's fine. But you can pray Isha. It is a valid Salatul Isha until, in terms and sense that it is Adat. Adat means praying on time. Qadat means making up the prayer. It's ada up until Fajr. But it's sin, the delay is sinful past half the night. What is the sunnah of hairs of head? What's the sunnah of hair is, the sunnah of hair is that the man should not have a hairstyle that resembles some sinful group, if such a group exists, nor women. And woman, it is makruh for her to have a hair that is resembling the hairstyles of men. Because in our theology, our, that's how we choose to identify, is that the gender, the prophet wanted the genders to be distinct. So that there should be hairs. If there's, if there, it comes in a culture that a certain way of having your hair is, is, is common for women, then a man should not have that hairstyle. If it's the opposite, then a woman should not have that hairstyle. As a matter of encouragement and discouragement more so than prohibition and obligation and then it's also that something called qaza which the prophet did not like which is the disjointed hairstyle where some of it's shaved basically like you want to go watch the i don't want to say it but the u.s olympic soccer team right where half the hair is buzzed and half of it's long right uh so that is called qaza where it's, it's disjointed and out of whack, or part of it is completely shaved and part of it's there. So that's, we would put it in the category of discouraged, makru. 
and therefore it should be avoided for both men and women to do that. Likewise, the colors that would maybe associate a person with fisk. For example, if there's a certain type of, of, of crew in society that they color their hair a certain way, you shouldn't do that. You should, look, you should basically use the dyes that pious Muslims use. That's your custom. Custom for us is the practicing Muslims. Lastly, a man should not dye his hair black because it has a different reference. In the old days, people didn't have birthdays. You didn't know how old you were born. There was no year. There was no calendar. You judged a man's age by his look, right? So if the man had black hair, the family may think he's a young man. He's younger than he actually is, and they marry him. And then he dies like five years later, right? Uh, so he was older than he looked. So it's, it's deception. Likewise, of deception is for a woman before marriage and for other to have to attach hair and to to do things with her hair that is not actually real of her hair, attaching pieces and stuff. That is only allowed for her to do within her husband and her family, but it's not allowed outside that because it could lead to a deception in, in the sense that people think something about you that's actually not true. Then they may refer you to marriage and then a guy gets into that marriage and you get into another marriage and you realize that both of you actually don't look the way you look. Okay, That's one of the reasons that there are these rules on hair and these rules on these things is to, to avoid possible potential deceptions like that. Uh, of course, it's not deception like people are trying to deceive each other, but that is the result. And all of this, we'd put it in the category of makruh and some of it's haram to do. I hope that answers the question on the issues of hair uh, in the Sharia. Can a woman dye her hair? A woman could dye her hair any color that she wants before or after marriage. It doesn't matter. Can you talk about the Prophet Elijah and Al-Khidr and they are believed to be still alive? We'll talk about that inshallah. Maybe every Tuesday we'll talk about one of the Prophets inshallah. Next question. Do I have to pay zakat on money that someone else owes me? Do you have to pay zakat on money that is owed to you? Um, you owe zakat on the money that's in your possession. Okay. Um, so when it comes into your possession, you will owe it for the past year if time elapsed. Okay. And so we can discuss that in more detail at another time, inshallah. But yes, the answer is that you, you only owe the zakat on the wealth that you have in your hand. So if I have a loan out to somebody, $2,000, they owe me that money. Or I'm a vendor and I sold him something and he hasn't paid me yet. I pay zakat on the savings for first of all in person for as a person only on my savings first of all so i don't pay zakat on that yet secondly if i'm a store owner you pay zakat on a calendar day okay uh, of the hijri calendar on your inventory and your cash so if it's outstanding then it, you no, you won't pay zakat on that but we should do a thing on zakat next question can ma'rifa be acquired through books or is it something that is only transmitted from person to person? Ma'rifa, ma'rifa is a, a nearness to Allah where you feel very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that happens neither so much by books or people. They do help for sure, but by a lot of ibadah. Of course, you need the books and you need the people. People more important than books. But it's really by a lot of ibadah. You can be with shuk all the time 
you can be with reading books all the time. Ma'rifah will be attained by doing a lot of dhikr of Allah, a lot of dua. Okay, and what's called munajat. You have to speak your your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and never have any hesitation in that. If you don't talk to Allah, who are you going to talk to? Right? People have a shame. They think, oh, you can only be very formal. Allahu Akbar, Sami Allahu Liman Hamida, and that's the relationship with Allah. They don't ever speak their heart to Allah Ta'ala. Well, then who are you going to open it to? Right? So you have to speak. You have to have no shame. Desires are not shameful. It's false beliefs and false actions that are shameful, right? So if you have a desire, open that desire to Allah Ta'ala. Say, if it's good, keep it. If it's not good, remove it. And make dua and ask. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala loves to give, He's waiting to, for you to ask. The greatest relation between his creator and Abd is that you ask him and he gives you. That's why he created you. Sarah Mas says, if a woman who has a hearing aid or a woman who is doing hifs or some new surah or to retain memorization, is she allowed to recite loudly in salah but someone else in the room can hear? The answer is, if the salah allows, allows something to be allowed, such as certain nawafil, and the nighttime prayers, then the answer is yes. And the minimum of out loud, the minimum of out loud is that you can hear yourself. So that let's say I'm praying and I want to recite out loud, but there are other people in the room, my out loud can just be that I hear myself. That's enough. Does a woman have to make up farad fast missing for pregnancy? The answer is yes. She has to make up the fast. And... Uh, and that's it. She has to make. Oh, okay. So here's here's how it works for pregnancy and breastfeeding. If the preg if the fast would result in her sickness personally, she always she, she has to make up the fast. If she's only breaking the fast not for her sickness, but for the sake of the baby, whether it's pregnancy or breastfeeding, then she owes a, a fast and a fidya. Fidya is to feed one poor Muslim, and you could do that by sending money to your mosque. And bright fidya, and they'll take care of it. Any local mosque should have the capacity and they should have the wherewithal to know how to distribute fidya. Next question. What are your thoughts on making hijrah to Egypt or Turkey to gain knowledge and starting a family there? Turkey? A lot of people do it. I can't say because I never did it, but yeah, you want to go to Turkey? Did you ever hear of your family wanting to go to Turkey? Uh, I didn't... Um, uh, I never actually thought about that for myself, but I know a lot of my friends did, and they did. I think they're coming back, though. Okay. Um, here's a question that says, are corporations legal, a separate entity? Are we required to pay zakat on businesses? Yes, you, you are. In Sharia, it does not recognize the business as a separate entity. The Sharia, uh, right? You can split up your money how you want. But the Sharia will only look at you as a person. You own that business. So when you own a business, the zakah on trade is of two types. Either you're trading all the time, like a shop. You buy inventory, you sell it right away. Or you trade in a different way where you're a speculator. You buy a bunch of stuff, you sit there and wait and wait and wait until the society demands it and the price goes up, then you sell it. The zakah, they both have zakah, but it's different. The, the zakah of the shopkeeper, he selects a hijri day, like let's say the 15th of Ramadan. And he says on the 15th of Ramadan, whatever money I have in this shop, minus my debts and expenses, 
Okay. I pay 2.5% of the guy, whether it's money or assets. So let's say I sell cars. The value of my assets, the cash that I have, minus all of the expenses that I owe, it gives you a, a certain amount of money. You pay Zakat on that, 2.5%. But if I'm someone which is called a muhtakir, which is someone who speculates. So I buy stuff and it, it just sits there. There's no, there are no like customers coming through the door. I just sit there and I wait until somebody wants to buy it or I wait until the price goes up. That type of person only pays zakah when he sells the item. That's the answer to that question. All right, Ryan, you're up. How can we attain healthy boundaries in relationships? How do you attain healthy boundaries in relationships? Study the fiqh. I'm telling you, study, the, study fiqh and study the sunnah. Give people their rights. Give yourself your rights. Okay? Fulfill your responsibilities. And be forgiving if people don't fulfill their responsibilities. Because friendships, marriages, are legal relationships, but they're built, well, marriage is, is illegal. Friendship is not a legal relationship. But we call it mebni ala al-musamaha. It's mebni ala, it's built upon forgiveness. Okay, It is a legal relationship. I owe, um, a husband owes his wife certain rights. A wife owes her husband certain rights. A husband has responsibilities towards his wife. A wife has responsibilities towards her husband. Both of them share responsibilities for their house and their kids. So we have to, everyone has to know their rights. And there's nothing better than sh Sharia. So nobody should ever be offended if someone wants my, sh my Sharia right, my God-given right, for example. It's my God-given right. If my neighbor, if my friend, if somebody knocks on the door or someone calls me on my phone, the Quran gives me the right not to answer if I don't want to answer, right? If my intention is to offend them, then I'll be sinful. But I am in the full right, if I'm tired, not to answer the phone. Allah says in the Quran, if you knock, Allah defends your right to privacy here, right? If someone knocks on the door and you said, go away, and you're allowed to say, leave, okay? You have to go. You should not be offended when someone asks for the right that given to Allah. These rights are what make relationships work. A wife has a lot of money. She never shows her husband how much money. Oh, well, tough luck for you. She doesn't have to, right? That's her money. She needed something from the store. She used my money. That's her right. Bil ma'aruf, what is known in custom. That means you would go and tell 10 pious Muslims and it would be like, no, that's not a big deal. She didn't go buy a BMW. She went and bought, you know, uh, household supplies or personal supplies that's normal. Bil ma'aruf. So she has a right to dip into your, your money. You don't have a right to dip into her money. She also does not have the right to go off on a vacation without your uh, talking to you about it first, right? She doesn't have the right to do that. So there's rights both ways. This is not just uh, bash the husbands and get the approval of women or vice versa. It's not nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with liberal and conservative, nothing to do with men and women. It has to do with what is the right that Allah gave both sides, okay? Both have the right to intimacy. It's not just the man has the right of intimacy. Abu Hamad al-Ghazali, he gave the fatwa. What is the right, what is a woman's right to intimacy? He said once every four days. Where did he get that from? Because the maximum man will marry is four wives. That's the max, right? So that means 
Each one of them gets the right that night. That's her right. So therefore, the bare minimum of a woman is once every four days. So we have, we have rights and responsibilities in every sphere. A woman has the right of privacy. A woman does not have a responsibility towards her husband's uh, parents. She doesn't. She just has the responsibility to be nice. Likewise, a husband doesn't have certain responsibilities towards her family. He doesn't have to pay certain things towards her family. So there's rights and responsibilities both ways, financial, physical, intimate, who comes in the house, who goes out of the house. If you study that, and you also study the attitude, because as my fiqh teacher taught, he says, marriage is mabni ala al-mukarama. It is built, it is a legal agreement of living together that is based upon generosity and forgiveness. Whereas trade, business, is mabni ala al-mushahat. Mushaha is getting the most out of your person, other person. When you go to do business, we're not doing charity. So if I hire someone, I said, oh, I expect you to work 40 hours a week. At 40 hours and zero minutes and zero seconds, he drops his pen, closes his laptop and goes home. I shouldn't be upset. That's the deal, right? That's the deal. You should never be upset by the, the best thing that will set us free is the Sharia. And people have taken their customs and made it better than Sharia. Okay, don't. So study the Sharia. That will give you a great understanding of distance you owe no most people nothing that's the truth you, you owe them nothing they owe you nothing right friends i have friends right yes it's it's not right to hurt people's feelings but let's say i need to unwind my head i'm not shut my phone off you can call me all day and all night hit your head on the wall come knock on my door i'm not answering i have the full right to do that you have the right to do the same for me too so this idea and this concept of personal space and distance and rights it's going to come if you study the sharia all right let's take a question from jj do you know that awam believe ulamat don't get tired they actually show they don't get tired how do ulamat have so, so much energy first of all i really uh hope that allah ta'ala can yani subhanallah even put us in the same conversation as the real people of knowledge and the secondly the real ulama i notice they don't get tired they do get tired but they'll never show it they have so much energy because they're always bringing down in their dhikr the names of allah and they have a belief that things are possible that's the summary of it they believe everything's possible they never said it's impossible they think always about allah's name al-qadr al-muqtadr al-wasi'ah and we ask Allah Ta'ala we be in their footsteps, okay? That we can travel in this life, this life and afterlife in the footsteps of these great scholars. Megalon says, can you exercise and read Islamic texts simultaneously? And the answer to that is, yeah, it's not probably preferable because they do deserve some respect. But I don't. I, if you're jogging and you're listening to a lecture on fiqh, I don't think that that's the end of the world. Okay. Is there anything like halal relationship nowadays? Like boyfriend and girlfriend? No, of course not. No, no way. No way. Huh? Yeah. There's. There's no. There's no. There hasn't been a software update on that subject. Um, uh, you can't, Yani Quran says, don't look at them. How can you be friends with someone that you don't look at, right? 
Hey, well, my, here's my best friend. I don't even know what she looks like, right? It's not going to work. How friends should interact with our Muslim friends who actually are practicing but being in a secular state in most opinions. If you are with Muslims and you're all, she says, they're practicing, but in a secular state in most opinions, then you need to share knowledge with them. Share knowledge with them. Share your end with them. Ryan, let's, let's hear it. Someone's asking for advice. They said they have a Muslim friend who is thinking of marrying a non-Muslim. She finds Muslim men have very poor character and she had a previously bad experience in a marriage with a Muslim man. Okay, so the, well, she married one man and she used that, so her dad has bad character? The person that she used to be married to. Had bad character. But she's saying Muslim because she, met, she had experience with one man, but she's saying all the Muslim men have bad character. So in a scientific experiment, there's something called, what is the word, Oz? Sample size, right? So the sample size of one does not apply. It's basically almost meaningless, right? Not, not that her experience is meaningless, but as a sample size, one is not, doesn't mean anything, right? And secondly, uh, so, so that's where you got to go at. How, how do you make a judge a leap from one to all? So it's just not factual. So how do you advise her? The advice to such a person is, are you interested in disobeying Allah and committing zina? That's what else is there to say, right? But use your reason. Your sample size is one. And you, wait a second, you, this is just like other Muslim guy who wants to die and marry from Ahl al-Kitab. Do you think they look any different? Do you think they're, they're different because they're Jews and Christians? Is there something different about them, right? They're still human beings, right? And whatever they have, there is a Muslim woman who has the same thing. So uh, a bad character is not going to be something sample sized by one person. So uh, I don't know if anyone else has something to chip in on this. How do you cope with just being tired of this worldly life? Uh, Sayyidina Omar says, remembrance of Allah and his attributes and his creation is medicine. Remembrance of people is the sickness. So stop being around people so much. M. Hassan Mazhar, in the same context as the previous question, are we allowed to listen to salawat and dhikr while working out? The answer is yes. Ryan, next question. The Shafi'iya and the Ahnaf both have distinct usul al-hadith. What about the Maliki school of thought? The Maliki school has a distinct school of hadith. The question is, uh, what is the Malikiyah in hadith? Yes, the hadith ahad, they are very much similar in their take as the Hanafis. And that's where you'll see that uh, there's been said that the Malikiyah and the Ahnaf have something in common in usul al-fiqh, and the Malikiyah and the Shawafi' have something in common in their Ash'ari Aqidah, and the Malikiyah and the Hanabila have the commonality of elevating Amal Ahl al-Madinah. And the Madikiyah and the Hanafis, yes, they, the Ahad Hadith ha, is limited. Its usage in Madiki fiqh has limits. Okay, because there are stronger proofs in the Madiki Madhab, which is Amal Ahl al Medina. Take two quick questions here. Did the Prophet see Allah in the Mi'raj? The answer is yes. Can some, uh, without direction or physicality, can someone dream of Allah? Yes, Imam Ahmad. Ibn Hanbal said he saw 99 dreams of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said he shared one of them with the people. And that one was, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is the greatest of deeds that a person could do? He said, recitation of Quran. Imam Ahmad said, then I asked, with understanding or without understanding? 
and Allah says, with understanding or without understanding. Ryan, next question. Can we visit old... Actually, first, I feel like that's so significant. Just to move on to another question. It's gonna, yeah. SubhanAllah. That, that is a several. Yeah, that's a, that's a major thing. Yeah. Recitation of Quran. So someone asked, can we visit old historical sites that have pagan origins, such as the pyramids in Egypt, Egypt, if you're just going for tourism? All right, visiting pagan sites. The answer is yes, out of... Out of Ibra. Taking Ibra, not Talim. There's a big difference between Ibra and Talim. You may visit those places. Allah says, go in the earth and look what happened to the oppressors, right? So look how great they were in terms of their buildings. Look how much knowledge they had, blah, blah, blah. What happened to them? They're extinct. They're gone. Where are they? Right? All right, they're gone. Well, it, 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 sort of funny for me when people study and love these ancient texts as if, what, what the, why, didn't, why are they extinct then, right? If they had so much great knowledge... Why don't they? Why aren't they around? Right? Ancient Greek, this. Ancient Egyptian, ancient this. All right. What? What's? How did they benefit from it? They're extinct. I like people who don't go extinct. Right? It shows that what you have is beneficial. So anyway, you can go, but not for talim. All right. Talim is to aggrandize something. You don't say, "Wow, look at how amazing this Shirki temple is." That's, that would be not right. Is it true that there is a nur of Muhammad? Of course. In, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we have revealed to you a book and a clear light. All right, that clear light is the Prophet. Was that dream of Imam Ahmad? It, it, was it for Abu Hanifa? No, it was Imam Ahmad's. Uh, is it true that Imam Bukhari refuted Imam Abu Hanifa? Yes, he did. Bukhari was a Shafi'i in his usul. Bukhari was Shafi'i in his usul. They believed that the solitary chained hadith is sufficient for law. And it could provide exception to the Qur'an. The Ahnaf and the Malikiyah, they said, no, we have a stronger source, and that is the precedent of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een. For Malik, he restricted it to those of Medina. Next question, Ryan. Um, I, I just have a question following Shoot. up on that. Like, I think you should maybe clarify, what, what are the nature of these refutations? Like, is this something... In... Oh, good. You mean, is this a refutation of outside of Ahl-Sunnah? No. This is a great point. This refutation between the fuqaha of Ahl Sunnah is simply called khilaf. Both have valid a basis for their opinion, so therefore the ibadah according to both is valid. The conclusions of both is valid. Okay, so the ibadah of both sides is valid. These are called mukhalifin fi sharia. They have differences of opinion in the sharia, but they're not outside of no one's claimed that in one either one is outside Ahl Sunnah. That's very important to know. Yasin says, smoking cigarettes is haram or makruh in the Madiki Madhab is absolutely haram. All of this stuff and marijuana and all these things is absolutely haram. And I'll tell you that the, we had a sheikh at the time of uh, Sidi Ahmed al-Tijani. We were talking 1700s. He's in Morocco. And this coffee and, and cigarette scene had started spreading around. The coffee and smoking started spreading in the, in, the, in the gatherings of the Muslims. So he wanted to go and get the fatwa from the chief of the Maliki on the earth at the time, and he was in Egypt. So he went to the biggest Maliki scholar in Egypt at that time. And he went to him and he said, can I get the fatwa? Give us your fatwa on smoking and, and, and drinking coffee. So he said, okay, give me a few days. He went and he came back and he said, I have your fatwa. He said, what's the fatwa? He said, first of all, I never write a fatwa. I never publish a fatwa 
until first I get a dream for the Prophet ﷺ confirming the fatwa is true, is correct. Then I publish the fatwa. He said, this one, here's the fatwa, and I'll tell you the dream I had. He said, I wrote the fatwa concluding, my conclusion was, cigarettes is absolutely haram. Okay? But coffee is halal. So then I wrote the fatwa, and I wrote my evidences, and I put the fatwa under my pillow, and I made much salah and salam on the messenger, and I slept. That night I saw myself being brought into a nice, beautiful home. There were all the Sahaba, Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and Sa'ad and Sa'id, Talha, Zubair, all the Sahaba. And everyone was having a great time. And the Messenger وسلم, was in the middle of us. He was sitting at the head of the table, uh, the gathering. A woman then brought out coffee. And the Prophet وسلم, took from it and the Sahaba took from it. So I know coffee is halal. And then I saw that a man came knocking on the door. And all of the Sahaba ran to expel him, to push him away from the door. I said, why are they expelling this poor man? And one Sahabi said, he's a smoker. <laughs> and it offends the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet hates it. And so from that fatwa they took, uh, from not, the dream is not the source of the fatwa. Dreams are not fatwa. But the dream was merely a confirmation for the fatwa. And the fatwa there is the tahrim of this tadkhin. It offends the angels. It hurts your body. It wastes your money. Okay. All of that is considered forbidden. All right, Ryan. What are some ways in which someone can strengthen their willpower? Strengthen your willpower. Very simple. Decrease what you do. Decrease it. Is if you ask yourself something that's too impossible, you can't do it. Number one, decrease it. Number two, don't think about the act that you're doing, all right? Think about the reward you're going to get out of it. You can't do an action that has no reward to it. It's not human nature. It's not even the nature of deers and trees and anything. They all do actions that have a reward to it. So instead of thinking, I got to do this, I got to do my 10 push-ups. No, you have to put the image of what is your reward. And you try to put it in something that you can see every single day, right? One of the things I used to do was I used to love uh, note cards. And I write down whatever I'm doing on a note card and keep that note card in my pocket. Keep, it always reminds me. And you remind yourself of your reward. What is the reward at the end of the tunnel for this? And then do that little bit every single day. And if you hold it for 10 days, hold it for 21, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, hold it for a year. That's how you increase your willpower is by remembering your rewards. Next question. Is the COVID vaccine halal? The COVID vaccine? Halal, the COVID's done. It's over. <laughs> Next question. Uh, do you follow what Menhaj have said about Alawi? I hope to. Uh, is smoking shisha? Yeah, the, the Maliki would put the shisha like that. Yeah. Uh, Khan Tabish. Ashari. Next question. Uh, Triple H, how do we enter Jannah? By following the Prophet This is like rapid fire. Mighty district, what are the benefits of learning the different qiraats? Because you get to see more of the expression of the Quran. The Quran has many expressions in these different qiraats. All right, next question. Ryan, what you got? These are kind of related, so I'm going to merge them. Okay. Um, someone asked, what are your views on the book 
the books by Ibn Taymiyyah. And then someone later asked, will you please have Sheikh Yusuf bin Sadiq on again? Yes, we can have Sheikh Yusuf bin Sadiq. I don't, I don't read the books of Ibn Taymiyyah. I never really read much of them. He's somebody we consider to that he clearly loved Allah and his messenger and he loved the deen. He fought jihad. Imam Siyuti said his knowledge was extremely vast. He has said a lot of good things about him. There are also, our ulama of Aqidah have said that he has many mistakes in his Asma'ul Sifat. And this is, we'll leave that for the ulama of Aqidah, but they did say very clearly that um, some of the things that he said about the Mutashabihat are flat out wrong. Not only me saying that, and it's not for me to say that, it's for the ulama of Aqidah to say that, number one. Number two, the Hanbalis themselves of his time said this is not what our position. And you can go to my podcast with Sheikh Yusuf ibn Sadiq. He says that, right? That the Hanabila themselves, they say, he's one of our shiuch. There's no doubt about that. His fatawa are not the madhab. He has fatawa that are outside the madhab. He has commentary on the asma and sifat of Allah that are outside the madhab. Because the madhab of the Hanabila was, we don't even talk about the mutashabihat. He went into the mutashabihat. Okay, so that's the difference. That's our take on it. And, and that's, so it's not our source of studying aqidah. Our source of studying Aqidah from the latter scholars, from the Middle Age and the latter scholars would be the likes of Imam al-Nawawi and Imam Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani. Why do we say that? And al-Fakhr al-Razi and al-Ghazali. Why do we say that? Because certain questions did not come up in the early times. The questions only came up in the later times and required an answer. In the same way that fiqh, you cannot study your fiqh, a mufti cannot study his fiqh from one of the only from one of the very early books. No, because a lot of the questions were not brought up until much later. There are many, many questions came up later. So you have to study the books of the early ones and the books of the latter ones. Aqidah is no different. Many, many questions came up later. So you won't find the Sahab and the Tabi'in having a comment on it because it never came up. The fitan and the, uh, the questions, the nawazil related to the questions of, uh, of beliefs, they came up later. So that's why we studied the latter scholars in Nawawi, Ibn Hajar, and a Siyuti. And they are following a madhab in Aqidah called al-Madhab al-Ash'ari, based upon the scholar Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Uh, sorry, this, that's the Sahab, Abu al-Hassan al-Ash'ari. So that's in terms of, so you know what you're getting when you're going to hear from me, is going to be Maliki Fiqh and Ash'ari Aqidah and the Tasawwuf according to Ba'alawi and, uh, and Abu al-Hassan al-Shadli. Next. Can you clarify why the Prophet Wasallam's grave is in a masjid? Why is the grave of the Prophet ﷺ in a masjid? There is no prohibition for technically for a grave to be in a masjid as long as it's walled. In other words, it has a barrier, even if the barrier is only like this big. Proof being that Hajj, isn't Hajar and Ismail, they're buried in what's called Hijr Ismail. Okay, They're buried there, right at the Kaaba. There's nothing wrong with that. On top of that, you notice that you, 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 we can pray nawafir there, but we can't pray fard there. You know why we can't pray the fard there? Because that, that marble arch would break up the rose. And the fard, you can't have a breakup of the rose. So we can pray nawafir there, but we don't pray the fard there. If you notice the fard, they go outside of it, and they make the rings outside of it, so that it doesn't break up the rose. Next question. Sheikh, will there come a time when the only good deed accepted would be the salawats upon Habib? Is it wherever uh, come a time that the only acceptable deed is Salah on the Prophet No, I never heard anything like that, but I did hear that it is said that 
Allah always accepts that because of his love for the Prophet. So he may reject your, your zakah, he may reject your other actions, but he will accept your salah on the Prophet And one of the proofs of that is that Abu Lahab, despite being a kafir in Sahih al-Bukhari, his brother Al-Abbas saw him in a dream. And he said, what did Allah do with you? He said, I'm in the worst of punishment because of what I did to Muhammad And he said, except every Monday I'm given a small bit of water because I was happy when the Prophet was born, so I freed Thuwaiba out of that happiness for the Prophet, and Allah rewards me for that happiness for the Prophet. From Based on that, if Abu Lahab, is his one good deed towards the Prophet is still compensated, okay? then likewise, the mu'min is more worthy to be compensated, so that it, you will always be compensated back your salah on the Prophet. Muna A says, what is the Maliki position on pre-stunned meat? Please, as long, it, it, stunning is, is makruh. It's harm to the animal, but it does not invalidate the meat. As long as the animal is still alive, it does not invalidate the meat. There can be many makruh and even sinful things done in the process of slaughter while the slaughter is still halal. There can be many bad things in terms of health, unhealthy things done to the animal, but the slaughter will be still halal. Therefore, halal is a very large uh, category okay it's a very large category a tayyib is a category tayyib is the wholesome is a tayyib is in the category within the halal so many you can do a lot of makru and even haram things for example slaughtering a lamb in front of another lamb right it's not right okay uh stunning the animals they pour water all over the chickens and on the ground and then they put electricity all the chickens are out cold. Then they hang them up on the hooks because otherwise they'd be running around and stuff like that. So many makruh, if not haram, things are done, but the category of halal will still absorb all that. That doesn't, just because cat, category is halal doesn't mean you have to eat it. But the category of tayyib is much smaller within. Also, for example, when people talk about the feeds and stuff, is it grass fed, all that? All that would be in the category of tayyib. Whether you have that or not does not mean the animal will be halal or haram. Halal and haram simply is that the animal itself is permissible for us to eat and that it was slaughtered, that its neck was cut, okay, in the right way. And that nobody refused the basmala because in the fiqh, in Maliki fiqh, if you forget the basmala accidentally, it's still valid. Only when you refuse to say, and by the way, it's not just basmala, any dhikr of Allah. If you refuse to say dhikrullah, then it's invalid. That's the difference. Next. What is your opinion about anti-black racism in the Muslim community? Of course, racism is going to be um, one of the, it's, it's one of the diseases of the heart. No doubt about it. It's a disease of the heart first. That's how we're going to attack it. Your heart is diseased. If you think that, uh, if you look down on people because of how Allah created them. Your heart is diseased. Um, nothing I can tell you besides that your heart's diseased. You need a cure. You need help. You need to purify your heart. Okay. Uh, and then after that, the actions that you do from a diseased heart will be sinful actions. Okay. Because if your heart is diseased, it's going to show up on your tongue. It's going to show in your eyes when you roll your eyes and you look at people in a certain ihtiqar, which is looking down on people. It's a disease of the heart, no doubt about it. It's one of, it's one of the diseases of Iblis. Because he had, he looked down on a species, 
right? The human species, he looked down on them. Next question. So following up though, how do we address this since it's already here in the community? So how do we, you know, address you, you, you address it by going back to the purification to the to the aqidah of creation. Right? Who created everybody and gave everyone their distinct features and looks, etc. And what is the nature of the brotherhoods that we have? Allah says in the Quran, "Inna al-mu'minuna ikhwa." Believers are a brotherhood. And the, and by having these these beliefs and this and this purification of the heart, that's what's going to change people. If they're willing, they're not going to change if they're not willing. You could talk till you're blue in the face. They have to be willing. Okay. Live breath Aqsa says, live, breathe Aqsa, she says. If a doctor works for an insurance company to see if patients medically can fit certain criteria, is that haram? Okay, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. I would need to go back and check because I'll kill what's happening. Uh, to work in an insurance company, and we know that insurance for us it is it's in, a, in itself haram. It becomes halal for us to use because of a fatwa of dire need. You couldn't afford to pay these prices or the government requires it. That doesn't mean that it's halal for us to own an insurance company or be employed for insurance. So that's why, let me ask about that. Why are so many Muslims eating haram meat saying it's okay as it's preferred by a Christian, which is not even known? We're only allowed to eat the meat of a Christian or a Jew if they cut the neck, if they slaughter. What is the Maliki opinion on Ilmul Abjad? I don't know if the Maliki have an opinion on Ilmul Abjad, which is that every letter has a number. And then in dream interpretation, when you see a number, you align it with the number and you get a word that is the message of Allah to you. So yes, I have seen proper dream interpreters who are upon the sunnah use abjad in that but i don't know if there's a maliki opinion on that next uh, uh ryan did abu talib die on iman abu talib died on iman the answer the answer to that is there is one weak hadith that has a, an unknown person in the chain which says that al-abbas said i heard him say the shahad but that is a weak and unaccepted hadith okay and there is a hadith the Prophet ﷺ said that he died and he is in the least of punishment in the hellfire. So is he in the, that raises a question. Is he in the least punishment in the hellfire because he didn't say the shahada or because he was a kafir? Because not saying the shahada would be a sin, right? If you have iman in your heart but you refuse to say it, that would be a major sin, right? Is he in the hellfire for that or in the hellfire because as a mushrik, Okay, so the answer to that is the dominant opinion say, as a mushrik, right? And Allah knows best. But that's what they say. Yasin says 35% of stunned animals in the UK die before the slaughterhouse. So that's why people avoid it. Yes, if, if that was the case, then you couldn't eat that. Uh, is it true that Abu Hanifa was accused of kufr and had to do rujua? I never heard of anything like that. Uh, can you read the question out yourself? Yes, I'll repeat. I'll read and I'll repeat what Ryan says. All right, Ryan, what else you got? Um, somebody asked that they heard that the word aqidah isn't mentioned in the Quran or a hadith. So where did the science of it come from? 
And why did the differences arise? Why is there, the, the word aqidah doesn't come in the Quran and Hadith, so where does the science come from? Uh, the terms that scholars use don't necessarily always have to come in the Quran. These are There's a, f- a famous expression that says, La There's no bother arguing about terminology. So we can create a term if we wanted to, for example, tajweed, tafsir, usul al-fiqh. All of these never came in the Quran either, right? So if we come up with a term, as long as we define it properly, we could use any term that we want. Next question. Is Al-Qadim a name of Allah? Al-Qadim. Uh, Al-Qidam is definitely his attribute that he is the first without beginning. No doubt about it. There's no time in relation to Allah because time is a actually result of physical matter. Right? Stuff has to exist before time exists. Time is under the existence of physical matter. And therefore, if time is not a physical, if Allah is not of a jism, he's not of a piece of matter, therefore he's also not subjected to time. He's the creator of time, therefore how can he be subjected to it? Tani says, is it true that in aqidah of destiny there's no such thing as contagious disease because you will get disease because Allah willed for it to happen? Yeah, it, what, what's going to happen is going to happen, but we do have fiqh. What's more important is we do have a fiqh related to contagious diseases. The Prophet ﷺ said, if there's a contagion, do not enter into that city and do not leave that city. So that's what matters. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we have to look at what is our fiqh. Can what right hand possesses be practiced today? No. There's no slavery today, obviously, in the Sharia. It's been abolished. It was abolished by the Ottoman Empire a long time ago. It's something that's matloob, that it be abolished. According to my teacher, Sheikh Mahmoud, he said this is something matloob by the Sharia. The Sharia wants freedom of slaves. And only if they were to bring back a world of slavery and take us as slaves, our prisoners of war as slaves, we take their prisoners of war as slaves. Okay, so... There, so the answer is no. There's no concept of right-hand possessions or slaves today in, for us as, as Muslims. We wouldn't do that. Next. If you're a traveler and Dhuhr starts and you arrive home after Asr begins, do you pray shorten Dhuhr? Repeat that again, please. If you're a traveler. You're a traveler. And Dhuhr starts. Okay. But by the time you get home, Asr comes in. Oh, okay. You didn't pray yet. Do you pray shortened? You're, you're, you're traveling all through Dhuhr time, you arrive home, it's Asr time. You will pray four and four. Who do you listen to for eschatology? Uh, I probably know what you're getting at there, but there is an, a man, I have to give him much respect because he is my elder. I do know him. I used to know him personally from a long time when he lived in New Jersey. Um, his name is Imran Hussein, And I do th- think that a lot of his um, theories on the end of time are just his personal theories i think he makes a mistake in how much he praises the russians the russians did so many bad things to the muslims it's an offense um to the muslims that he fought to such as imam shaman who was one of the to be supportive of them he also made a statement about the muhammad al-fatih the ottoman who conquered uh constantinople and then said that if anyone's the martyr there, it's the Christians, and that somehow these Ottomans were not upright Muslims, that they were some kind of other group. No. The conquest of Constantinople, in a sense, it happens in two different ways. The first one, which was happened in the 1500s by Muhammad al-Fatih. The second one happens 
as a conquest of their heedlessness from Islam. They were they are in a, a state of heedlessness, and Imam Mahdi comes, and they submit to him as soon as they hear the takbir. So he's assuming from that hadith that the conquest of Constantinople hasn't happened yet, and therefore the Islam that the the Ottomans were upon is not even real Islam. That is complete way off. You're essentially making almost like a takfir or tabdiyah of a whole civilization. No, the conquest of Constantinople, it has happened already at the hand of Muhammad al-Fatih and the Ottoman army. It will happen again, and the Mahdi is a conquest of their heedlessness, not from kufr to Islam, but from he, from not following the Mahdi to following him. That's why he says, as soon as they hear the takbir, they submit. Okay, they remember their origins and their roots. Okay, so when he made those comments, I felt that they were way out of line and they were way off. And then a lot of times when people speak and they say, oh, we listen to, I'm, I have to leave. I have to go make the hijra. I have to go do this. I have to go do that. What did you get into all this for? I said, oh, because I heard it on the Imran Hussein lecture that khalas, it's all doomsday and we all have to make hijra. Where are you going? Oh, I'm going east. Dajjal comes from the east, not from the west. You're in New Jersey. What's taking you east? That's where the jet is coming. Jet is not coming in New Jersey, right? He may visit anywhere he wants, but the Dajjal comes in the east. All the end events of the end of time happen in the east. Okay. So in any event, that kind of doomsdayism is not something that I support at all. Next question. Are there any particular books that you recommend, English books, about the Sahaba? English books about the Sahaba, there is Men Around the Messenger is a nice book. The, word, the, the language is simple. The length is neither too short nor too long. So I like that book. Next question. If the Prophet ﷺ is saving his guaranteed prophetic dua for the Ummah on the Day of Judgment, how will there be any Muslims in the hellfire? The, how will there be any Muslims in the hellfire if the Prophet is saving his dua for the Muslims? Because they will be, they may only be in the hellfire to serve a punishment and to be purified from their sins and that they have been sentenced to the hellfire before the Prophet ﷺ reaches them. So we have a hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ goes to those who are already suffering in the hellfire and intercedes and pulls them out. And then until he says, I left only there whom those whom the book has locked there, which is who? Those who died upon shirk. Okay, so that's one answer. And the other answer is that munafiq is outside of this category, those category of munafiq, that he is maybe outwardly a Muslim, but inwardly he's a hypocrite. All right, Ryan, one more question from you. What is the best way to perform a ghusl? What is the best way to perform a ghusl is that you clean your private parts first, your aura area first, and then you make a wudu doing everything except your feet. Leave your feet for last. And then you do your hair first. You have to make sure that you do your scalp. If you have long hair, you have to wet that hair. If a woman has braids, she just she doesn't have to undo the braid. She just loosens the braid to make sure water gets in. That's it. And then you do your top right, top left, then bottom right, bottom left, including your feet after that. And you have to do takhlil of the beard. You have to make sure you get in the beard. And you have to go between your feet, your toes. Whereas wudu, you don't have to do either of those two things. That is the sunnah of how to do a ghusl. Alrighty, folks. 
Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik wal asr innal insana lafi khusr illa alladhina amanu wa amilu s-salihati wa tawassaw bil haqqi wa tawassaw bis sabr nas'alullah subhanahu wa ta'ala an yaj'alana da'iman fi ridah nas'alullah subhanahu wa ta'ala an yaj'alana da'iman ala sunnati nabiyyi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hatta nahya wa namut ala alayha wa ala sunnati wal jama'a وعلى رضاء الله ورضاء الرسول والله ورسوله أحق أن يرضوه إن كانوا مؤمنين وأسك الله تعالى تم let us live and die on the Sunnah and the Jama'ah and let us always be in His good graces and His in His رضاء we ask Allah سبحانه وتعالى for our parents that He entered them Jannah without حساب and for all those who have passed away in the recent times with COVID and otherwise that Allah make them شهداء and enter them Jannah without any hisab, and make their grave life better than their worldly life, and give them better company in the grave than the company that they have in this life. We ask Allah Ta'ala for all the marriages that Allah makes them happy and unified and content. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala for all those who are suffering some sickness, that Allah give them shifa. If they're suffering poverty, may Allah give them wealth. If they're suffering, uh, if they're looking for a spouse, may Allah give them a blessed spouse. If they're looking for children, may Allah give them a child that is a blessing for this life and the next. We ask Allah Ta'ala to run on our tongue, move our tongue with the dua that pleases Him. The dua that He's willed for us so that we can be mujab dawa answered in our dua. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala that He always accept this action from us and keep us on the struggle. Uh, of the deen inwardly and outwardly in the da'wah and in knowledge and worship until the day we meet him while he is with us pleased and lastly we ask that Allah make none more beloved to us than his most beloved Sayyidul Qawnain Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sleepless, I know we weren't easy And you are the reason I'm here And no other feeling can top what you mean to me I owe you all of my years I love you, I love you the most I just want, I just want you to know You gave me the love I always need My heart will always be your home I'll be there forever and ever Wrapped up in X marks the spot, you're my treasure Can't thank the Lord enough You are my angel, my superhero Forever I'm grateful, always a part of me Right up to right up to
to heaven's gates You are my angel My superhero Forever I'm grateful Always a part of me